Welcome, consumed listeners, to another season of the podcast that stokes candid conversations with California eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers. And speaking of stoking, I'm stoked you're here. How California is that? This season, I spoke exclusively with women in the wine industry, and it was a transformative experience on my end. These are smart, accomplished, and dare I say, ballsy people I interviewed from diverse experiences, cultures, and walks of life. Oh, and I chatted with them outdoors to be COVID safe. Don't be surprised if you hear a lawnmower, barking dog, or wind chime in the breeze. This is my backyard. Welcome. I want to say something here about one of my biggest supporters and cheerleaders, Rancho de Onaveros Wines in California's Santa Maria Valley. Vigneron James Onaveros is an example of a man who shares his platform with the women in his life, business, and industry, including me. He wrote a post on Instagram about the all-women crews that work at Rancho de Onaveros, and I wanted to share that with you. He wrote, There's a sense of detail and accuracy that I've always admired and appreciated out of our crew of ladies. The level of detail and care is unmistakably fantastic. In a business where every little detail adds up in the end to something superior, if done well, it truly matters. I'm always impressed and privileged with the results from this excellent team. Many thanks to Ranchos de Onaveros and James for his support of this podcast and the diversity of voices in the wine industry. For more information about Ranchos de Onaveros wines, visit ranchosdeonaveros.com. Many thanks as well to Slow Life Magazine, the publication that puts the people of San Luis Obispo County in the spotlight. For my next food column in the magazine, I'm writing about rogue pizza makers. That's folks who make and sell their artisan pizzas through non-traditional channels, like from their home kitchen. It turns out there's a real trend here on the Central Coast of secret pizza people who use social media to promote and sell their stuff. Check out the next issue of Slow Life Magazine for more information or visit slowlifemagazine.com. Robin Puricelli is the sommelier and wine director at Lido Restaurant in Chill Beach, a beautiful oceanfront resort where she's earned Wine Spectator's Best of Award of Excellence for multiple years. She's also co-owner of the small wine label Locura, focused on light-style Grenache, which she makes with fellow sommelier Amanda Gill and winemaker Kobe Parker-Garcia. Robin first came to my attention several years ago when she came on as sommelier for the restaurant Foremost, where one of my favorite chefs, Julie Simon, was in the kitchen. At the time, Slow County had one, if any, other sommeliers working a restaurant floor, so Robin's arrival was special. A lot has happened since then, including the birth of her son and a global pandemic. Listen to Robin describe her upbringing with a first-generation Polish single mom, her travels, and the differences she's discovered between people from the East and West Coasts. Here's Robin Puricelli. Robin Purcelli, I'm so glad you're here with me and that we're in person. Yay. Yay. So happy to be here. I don't mean to be a stalker, but I actually looked at the... Um, the meaning of your last name. Mm -hmm. Do you know what it is? Percelli? Yeah. I don't know the meaning, actually. This is exciting. <laughs> Wait a minute. Do you go by Percelli or Percelli? Do you care? It doesn't matter, but Puricelli is the authentic Italian. Okay. Saying. Well, the root of the word is, is puro, which means pure, pure. Mm -hmm. which is so beautiful, I think. That's a good name. Yeah. So randomly enough, my 
Instagram handles Pure Avina. And right. so I just, I never actually thought about my last name, but yes, it does make sense. It's That's, beautiful. I never really looked into that. Thank you. You're welcome. Are both of your parents Italian? No, my mother's actually from Poland. So I'm okay. first generation Polish. Oh, and first yeah. gen. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yes, okay. yes. Awesome. Uh, she came over when they were teenagers, large family. So mm-hmm. they, um, yeah, and then I grew up on the East Coast. Uh, that was a big place for my uh, immigrants to come over yeah. and um, landed in New York. You know, the whole traditional immigration story yeah. came for a better life. So Yeah, when I was looking at um, the, I think it was on Ancestry.com, I, I just love the roots of names. I find mm-hmm. it fascinating. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it, like changes the trajectory of a person's life or anything like that, but I just find it really interesting. And um, yes, they showed a map of the U.S. and where all of the Puticellis are, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's most, it's weird, it's like really concentrated in Arkansas, which I find bizarre, Mm -hmm. but Massachusetts, New York, and then California. So, and it's not a super common name here. There's Purcell's which is common, but the P-U-R-I, Puticelli, um, I I haven't, I think maybe once I've seen someone with the last mm-hmm. name, but yeah. Yeah. Well, so you come from <coughs> Massachusetts. Tell me the exact, I know you say Boston, but yes. what's the, is it Worcester? B- uh, Dorchester. That's yes. right. <laughs> That's right. Which is where? It's near Southie. It's, it's a little town in Boston. So you can see the the buildings from where I grew up and right near the highway, right near the water. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a little like little town within next to Southie. Yeah. And is it not where the new kids on the block are from? It is. Yes. <laughs> I used to drive by their house quite often. Their house as in like they all live together? Well, no, there was a few <laughs> different houses and one of my friends back in the day, she, she knew them. Like it's crazy. But yes, that was in my heyday in the, in the eighties and what nineties. So yeah. Have very you been exciting. to concerts? Never went to a concert. No. Okay. I respect you slightly more now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I wasn't allowed to listen to New Kids on the Block when I was growing up because, well, because my parents were like, they don't play any instruments and I, they're just, my parents are purists with music and I was, now I really respect that. But at the time it was like, New Kids on the Block is the best. Yeah. For, I mean, that's the, well, one of the first boy bands, I guess, to start the craze and yeah, for sure. So growing up there, I mean, did you, were you, uh, I don't know how to say this, but were you like a well-to-do family or were you pretty working class or working class? Definitely. Yeah. My, um, my dad had worked at the same business for 30 plus years and my mom, she, uh, coming over from Poland, didn't speak English. So she learned how to speak English, made her way through schools, did not go to college, um, but worked her way up to be like an executive secretary, um, single mom working hard and, um, so yeah, we, but we lived in Dorchester, which has some nice little neighborhoods, but mm-hmm. it is still considered like a ghetto. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I tell people I'm from Dorchester, they're like, Ooh, she's a tough girl. <laughs> Are you a tough girl? Oh yeah. I'd like to think so. I mean, I'm definitely <laughs> assertive and you know, Boston, the East coast mentality has definitely, you know, made me who I am yeah. and I, and I'm appreciative for that. Yeah. And what does that mean? Like, what is it that made you, how, how did it make you who you are? Well, there it's, you know, it's just a little tougher. Um, you know, just only the weather even just 
having to shovel snow and get the ice off your windshield and it's freezing cold and you got to walk to the T, take the bus and you can't park in the city, get splashed by puddles. And so that aspect is a struggle. And then um, just people in general are a little bit, um, can be rougher, you know, and tougher, but Mm -hmm. um, I think you're just more honest and assertive and, like you know, direct. exactly. I, I mean, I don't waste time or add fluff. Like I'm just like, Hey, this is, this is what I'd like. And this is who I am. And yeah. let's do it. Does know? that translate okay in California? It was difficult at first. Yeah. Yes. I, I was, um, I wasn't well received at first because my energy was a little more intense and California has definitely calmed me down. And <laughs> yeah, I'd like to say that I'm a very, uh, California girl now, Yeah, but you know, I drive like a Bostonian and I, I mean, I definitely um, speak my mind and say what I I want, you know, yeah. up front. And, you know, I apply that in any aspect, especially with the wine world. You know, if, mm-hmm. if a rep's like, hey, I have all this. Well, you know, I don't really need that right now. And, you know, just being honest, um, I think, is very important and genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, not that Californians are not, but it's, it's a very... Uh, yes environment here you know yeah yeah I'll be there yeah totally and you know that no one wants to hurt anyone's feelings but yeah. it, you know I'd rather just tell you what I'm thinking up front and yeah. be honest that hey I'm not going to go to that party because I can't <laughs> that is so interesting I've never thought of it as a yes culture and you're absolutely right and I think sometimes it's to our detriment to say yes to so mm-hmm. many things Mm-hmm. Or then you're caught in the position of saying yes and then being flaking out. Yeah, flaking. That's a new word that I learned when I moved to California. Oh, is that? <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. that's so funny. I had no idea what flaking was. And then um, yeah. people flaked on me and I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's for sure it can happen. Well, so growing up, what were you like as a kid? Were you into food? and, and- Yes, uh, definitely. My mother, you know, you mentioned purist mm-hmm. with music. That's how we kind of grew up with food and uh, making everything from scratch. I never, I don't, I still don't eat condiments or sodas or anything like mm. that today. It just, mm. you know, I like to pick a tomato from the ground and eat it fresh. I don't need you to add a bunch of sugar or anything. And, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, we just, uh, very traditional, I guess she was strict, mm-hmm. um, grew up poor on a farm in Poland and, you know, didn't let me waste food and every scrap and every, uh, nothing goes bad, you know, in the house. Mm. So, um, it, um, yeah, very European influence, yeah. which is, I guess, one of the influences why I got into food and wine, just mm-hmm. working in restaurants. And, you know, I grew up uh, going to lunch and having a glass of wine or a beer at lunch, the mm-hmm. very European lifestyle. Yeah. So that, I think, was part of why I just loved the restaurant industry and mm. Um, and growing up as an Italian and a Polish. So I've just, you know, in the city, exposed to different cultures. Yeah. yeah. It's so different from so many of us here. Mm-hmm. Our, I mean, we do have, we have a new, for sure, new culture of, um, oh, I almost want to say like a culinary culture, a cuisine mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. Not to say that there wasn't always ag. I mean, California and ag are, you know, they're the same word. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, it's so new to us here. I think people forget that. And you definitely have some old world roots mm-hmm. and habits and customs. Yeah. Um, did you, uh, what was your first job in a restaurant like? Oh gosh, I think I was, uh, this was in the early 90s and I was um, just waitressing at a little bar and grill um, at near the uh, waterfront at the 
And then I worked at the Spirit of Boston, like mm. doing catering and, um, gosh, going way back. Um, <laughs> you know, actually, I think the first one was assisting my uh, my friend's mother in this catering high end catering company for businesses. They were recruiting, um, they were recruiting young, you know. M- young clients for, uh, for jobs and mm. working in the business district. And, um, th- I think that was my first experience cause I was, you know, 17, mm-hmm. um, 18 and then worked in a supermarket in the little deli section. So yeah, I guess that's where, <laughs> where it all it. began. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> it seems like those stories are always the same. Started yeah. in the deli section. Yeah. Um, when you left because you, you worked in Boston for a while, mm-hmm. What made you decide to come out here? Well, mainly the lifestyle, the weather, of course. Mm. Um, I had gone to a couple different colleges and just, um, you know, loved the nightlife. So, And working in restaurants, you know, you'd work late, you'd go out for drinks after work, and then, you know, maybe go out dancing so you wouldn't go to bed till 3 a.m. And it just wasn't conducive to um, a school, (laughs) you know, college life. So Mm -hmm. I definitely took advantage of that and um, not in a good way and uh, Mm -hmm. had to pay my way through school. My dad wasn't helping me anymore. So Mm -hmm. um, I was like, you know what? California has a great program to help uh, students pay for college. So Mm -hmm. I moved out here, became a resident after a year, Started in Santa Monica College and then worked my way up and went to UCSB. Yeah. I saw, and you studied global studies. Yes. yes. Was that related to wine at all or was that just something you had a passion for? I was just passionate about the world and other cultures and traveling and mm-hmm. um, just everything. It's 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 all combined. It can be geography, sociology, um, economy, everything. Yeah. So it was you know, and that's just the way I, I work and I live is just like all kind of all over the place, a little chaotic, but still or, organized chaos is what yeah. I like to say. Yeah. Um, and so I need a lot of things to keep me interested. Mm-hmm. And wine especially is is all of that. Yeah, same. I need a lot of things. <laughs> it has to be moving all the time. Yes. Something new on the horizon mm-hmm. for sure. Well, so you came out, you went to UCSB. Mm-hmm. Um what happened right after, and you traveled while you were studying, I think, right? Yes, and maybe I, before that, too. I actually worked at the Viceroy Hotel in Santa Monica for seven years and mm. wore, uh, went to school at UCSB. So I commuted, yeah. um, and I was wow. in my 30s. I was, I think, 29, 30 at the time, and then I studied abroad when I was uh, 31. So uh, definitely a late bloomer, Mm. but that's okay. I wanted to find out what was right for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Took the time before I graduated to travel the world and then um, studied abroad and then graduated and then pretty soon afterwards moved up here Mm -hmm. to be in the wine industry. Did you study wine, um, you know, while you're working at the Viceroy and while you're going to school? You were doing... I mean, yes. did you get like your certified some? I all did. Of that? I was doing the intro um, in 2011, which is when I graduated uh, UCSB, and then there was a master psalm that came in to visit us at uh, the Viceroy to do a seminar, and he blew me away. It was Peter Neptune. Peter Neptune. So great and charismatic. Yes. And, oh, oh, my gosh, and hyper. Oh, I yes. love that yes. guy. And yeah. he blew my mind, yeah. and I was never exposed to that, and the fact that he could call Syrah from Australia yeah. just floored me. So mm. that invigorated my passion further. So started to do the WSET mm-hmm. courses. Uh, you know, living in LA, I had 
a lot of resources around me yes. um, at the wine house where they offer a lot of classes. So just did several of those and then um, did not know what I would do with my degree. So I kind of just took the wine route and that's a great loved, match. Yeah, loved the restaurant industry and just couldn't really leave it. Yeah, that is a really good match, though, to mm-hmm. study that um, to get that degree. Mm-hmm. In college, wild. I mean, is there any better way to study the world than through wine? There is mm-hmm. so, so much to learn. Mm-hmm. And the it's, fact that there's a new vintage every year, every year it doubles itself. It's just crazy how much you have to learn. You could never learn it all. Exactly. You can never learn it all. And it's it's terrifying. Yeah. You know, and it's a very, uh, I'm sure other wine industry people will attest to this, is that it's like, it's, um, it's, what is the word? It's dis- disheartening almost that you mm. feel like you don't know anything because in the scheme of things, you may know a lot, but it's really nothing, Yeah, you know, because you don't know the entire world and every alcohol restriction and, right. you know, AVA. It's it's never ending. And every vintage and every mm-hmm. appellation and how, mm-hmm. you know, how did it do? I will be honest with you. I have, um, I did the WICT advanced with Peter. Mm-hmm. So great. And that's with like no resources up mm-hmm. here. I went down to the wine house a couple times to do other things. Um, and I loved it there because it had an international selection. There just wasn't anything like that up mm-hmm. here. Not at the time. Yeah. Um, and I was so ravenous for that. Mm-hmm. And now I think it is, I'm, I think I'm in that disheartened phase where, I mean, also life has taken over mm-hmm. kids, um, lots of work, but I don't feel, it feels like why even try to learn all this stuff over Mm -hmm. again? There is so much out there. Mm -hmm. There's so much. And I think maybe, maybe when um, things slow down a little bit, it's never going to happen. But if it did, I'd love to get back into that, pull out the old Mm -hmm. flashcards and And then travel and go see these places. Yes. Then that's the way to learn it is just by delving into the region, by visiting it and, you know, getting your hands dirty, so to speak. Yeah. 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 It is, it is a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. Well, you've become really, um, really well respected here. Um, you've done some work with like, uh, either tasting panel or Psalm journal. Mm -hmm. You've gone around to their, like their, their camps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you've been featured in a number of places. I mean, is this anything that you ever foresaw? Well, um, not. I did not foresee it, but that was what I wanted. You know, mm-hmm. I came. Uh, I came up here in 2013, and I came in hot. I was like, I want this. I want that. I want to work here. And every job that I had sought after, I had received. That's awesome. Um, again, just knocking on doors, being like, "This is what I want." Yeah. <laughs> so I was very fortunate, and and this area is so welcoming and, and open arms. You know, I was very, um, surprised to see how open and humble all the winemakers are. And mm-hmm. just, they, you know, being a sommelier in 2013, there were, I think I was one of two in the area. I'm telling you, you were the first person I ever saw referred to not as a wine buyer or, you know, I mean, there's a difference there. Somebody who's actually working the floor mm-hmm. and um, helping people, I think you were the first person with Foremost. Yes. Is that right? Too? Yeah, I, I believe so. I feel yeah. like the, in Paso, there was one or two. Maybe um, so, yeah. But yeah, it's this area in that short amount of time has changed dramatically. Yep. Yeah. yeah. 
what other spots did you work for a were you like in a tasting room or something I was yeah I moved up to work at Justin Winery so kind of learned uh, I wanted to round out my wine knowledge by with the the wine making aspect Mm. um, which you know you you read about it but you can't really understand it until you see it or at least that's how my mind works Mm -hmm. so worked in um, the tasting room there and then Wanted to see how a little boutique operation ran, so I worked at Terry Hogue Vineyards, a mom-and-pop, you know, um, winery, and then the commute was a little rough living in Grover, so then worked Mm. at um, Kinsey, and then that's when I was poached to do Foremost. Oh, so you were at Kinsey, which is such a fantastic Pinot. I love those guys. So nice. So when you worked at Foremost, I mean, you were buying, I remember it was a wine shop. Mm Mm-hmm. In a big way, um, but also a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And so you were on the floor for that. But what was it like to be given what I understand to be pretty free reign? Yes. To buy, did you, I can't even remember, did you do a pretty international selection? Yes, um, I did both of that. It. Uh, I had the autonomy to do whatever I felt would work for the business Mm. um and that was amazing to have that support and freedom because that's how I need to to run I need you to trust that I'm going to make good decisions uh so you know I didn't go too crazy with international wines but it was uh, I think a perfect medium with some producers that were well known or some smaller boutique producers um paired with their you know domestic counterpart Mm -hmm. so it was a place where a lot of the local wine industry people could come to the wine shop or do a little flight of wine at the wine bar. Um, yeah, it was it was small, but about 200 wines only, mm-hmm. um, but very selective, and, and um, every wine had a purpose there. Yes, right. I love tasting that way. I mm-hmm. love tasting um, our stuff here mm-hmm. against kind of its heritage or or something from you know an, another new world version of what mm-hmm. that is yeah. that was such an interesting and hyped project that foremost project mm-hmm. um what was it like working with julie simon i only asked because i know it was wonderful oh, she is incredible uh what's funny is that it was not um, designed to be a restaurant to begin with, that mm-hmm. just kind of fell into the owner's lap. He, uh, it was going to be just like a wine bar, cheese and charcuterie. And then I, I don't know how he ran into Julie one day and he was like, I got Julie Simon. Yeah. So everything changed at that point. Um, the kitchen is tiny there. So yeah, it's so small. Yeah. It was a struggle, but, um, you know, she made it work and gosh, her food, I, dr- I just dream about it mm-hmm. I know <laughs> all the time, but yes, I learned so much and Um, it was comforting to work with her because that's what I grew up with, you know, Mm -hmm. um, food from all over the world and just in, in, she's inspired by that, by, you know, um, Thai, Middle Eastern, just Moroccan, Moroccan, everything. And, and that was like normal to me. So we got along really well at first Mm -hmm. and, you know, brought her wines that she could pair with her food and, and it brought her back home and, <laughs> to France as well. Yeah. So it was, it was a symbiotic relationship. Yes, I could see that for sure. So what happened after Foremost? Where'd you go? So I immediately uh, got the job at Lido mm-hmm. um, to oversee their wine program, which was the complete opposite of Foremost, which was about a 7,000 bottle seller. Oh my um, Lord. It was monstrous. So I'm still managing that. And, um, 
but it was amazing. I've learned so much from my own seller. You know, that was like where I could just sit and look at labels and um, continue my education, I guess. Yeah. So um, shrunk the list down a, l- a little bit because mm-hmm. it's it was too big. Um, you know, you can't possibly sell that much wine. <laughs> That's so much. In a year, but, so much wine. Yeah. It is a place where a lot of the w- local winemakers have some library wines. Like yeah. got a lot of older tallies and albins and um, so that's really cool to see. I know Mikey Juni was like, wow, you have my first vintage. I need to buy that last bottle. That's <laughs> He's so like, cool. I sold out of it. So yeah, that's so cool. Do you get to open pretty much anything? Today? No. Um, okay. I, I this mean, is yes, my fantasy land. I, I, like, you know, I'm such a noob. I don't really know. Well, when I first started, I was like doing some math and it would have taken me three years to taste a wine every day to get through all the wines in the cellar. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. And obviously there's only one or two bottles of certain, um, special library wines. So I couldn't just open anything. And, uh, that was hard for me, but you know, I read about certain things and yeah. how they would taste and just hope that when someone gets it, they would <laughs> share, share it with me. Yeah. <laughs> does that happen pretty commonly? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. Let's take a quick detour here to talk about another consumed sponsor. Slow Food Co-op's mission is to empower health and well-being in the community by providing quality groceries, local produce, and exceptional customer service. Slow Food Co-op sources from local producers, ensuring they offer their shoppers great food and household staples. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining non-GMO standards and a variety of organic selections. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop and visit the Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. We talked a little bit when I was working um, for Edible Magazine, Edible mm-hmm. Slow. We did just, I'm, I'm going to toot our horn here. That was the most beautiful project. So amazing. So amazing. Um, we put, I don't remember how many women it was, seven or eight? I think eight. Okay. Yeah. Eight women, um, Psalms and wine mm-hmm. buyers on the cover. And it was just kind of a charmed project Mm -hmm. um we decided to do it jen olson photographer and i uh were texting back and forth and about something else and it occurred to me oh my gosh jenna robin brooke all these women Mm -hmm. they are the psalms and wine buyers uh buyers of the central coast Mm -hmm. there are a couple of men or at the time there were but women were really driving content here um and so when we all got together, there was a conversation, all of you in your evening gowns and lipstick, which was just amazing. Um, <laughs> once in a lifetime. <laughs> once in a, I know, I know. You guys, wow, you showed up. You were like, <laughs> evening gown? Yes, I will find one. Um, but you talked a lot about the nature of gender mm-hmm. in the industry, and there were a lot of stories. Mm-hmm. What can you tell any stories? I don't, it's not like I want to cut anybody off at the knees, but um, tell me a story that's maybe about something hard and then tell me a story about something that's maybe hopeful. Gosh. I know that's a lot of pressure. It is. Um, what was hard? Well, I guess moving up here, uh, not knowing anybody in the area, mm-hmm. um, 
that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, not everyone, a lot of people were welcoming, but a, not everyone was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like the mean girls movie, you know, the new, the new girl who's, um, the sommelier and she's working in the tasting room. And so there was, mm-hmm. um, some dirty looks and unfriendliness. Um, but I think, after I've like earned a little bit of the respect and kind of shook off that pretentious stigma that sommeliers have that, um, people started to open up their arms. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that was probably the hardest. I would leave work crying. <laughs> it was really yeah. hard. Um, and, and yeah, and, and not knowing anybody, not having any friends here to kind of cry on. Um, so that was a challenge. And then I guess, you know, the, the flip side is that people did still notice me and, mm-hmm. uh, I never stopped persevering for what I had wanted in the area. And, um, again, just somehow I managed to get everything that I wanted, you know, yeah. um, working at all the positions and meeting the wonderful friends that I have. And then making a wine, uh, yeah. that was one of my dreams and a crazy one at that. Yeah. Um, yeah, just making it happen somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this, and we'll get to that wine. Um, but when we were, I remember when I was interviewing you for that story, I felt awful afterward because I asked you, I don't know where it came from. Mm-hmm. I know, you know what I'm talking about. I was like, Hey, do you ever think about having kids? I mm-hmm. I can't think of a single time I've ever asked anybody that. It's yeah. so none of my business. And you were like, totally. And then it was not too long after mm-hmm. that you did. You had a little guy who's now two. two. Mm-hmm. And what's that been like? Um, that is another <laughs> challenge in life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it is hard. I yeah. thought that having kids would be easy. It is the hardest thing. Did you really think it would be easy? I did. I was like, I'm just going to have three and I hope I have twins and they're just going to play with each other and da da da. Yeah. But again, I'm, uh, I'm career driven and so is my fiance. And so we were floored when we had to shift our focus on all of our goals to now this child yeah. and every decision is obviously for him now. Yeah. Um, and so that was extremely hard is I feel like I'm taking several steps back in my career because like you said, you, you know, you, you don't have any more time to study and Mm -hmm. keep up on wine regions and what's going on in the world. And there's some serious FOMO (laughs) when you're looking at everyone going out, doing all these amazing things and trips and immersions and drinking wine. And, and you're just like, I gotta, I just gotta go to work and I have Mm -hmm. to find a babysitter and you know, find a school or take them to the park and everything stops. Yeah. And quality time does Mm -hmm. not happen on its own. Mm -hmm. A lot of the time it just, it takes putting all distractions aside. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is work Mm -hmm. to be fully present with anybody, Mm -hmm. but especially a little person who, um, is depending on you. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. I remember thinking it was going to be easy too, that I would just like, I, you know, I'm going to lay him on a blanket and I'm going to do my own thing. Nope. No, you can't just lay the baby on a blanket. Some moms can, and I fully resent them. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but my baby wouldn't just chill on a blanket. No, no. Fortunately, he's an easy baby for, I guess that's what they call them. Um, not fussy or crying a lot, but Mm. you know, the more active, the more difficult. So Yeah. yeah, he needs to be on the go. Yes. 
And so trying to manage that along with the wine program and then my role um, has transformed over time Mm -hmm. because of the economy and what's going on now. So we've limited um, management. And so it's myself and one other and, Mm. you know, overseeing a staff of 40 plus people and then trying to do the wine program. So, you know, I make it all work, uh, but it's... As front of house, managing front of house. Yes. Wow. What is it like at Lido right now? I haven't been since um, the COVID lockdown. We are staying alive. You know, just um, every day is uh, a challenge, but, you know, we're open and we're Mm -hmm. doing takeout now that the restrictions have lifted. Yay! Yay! Um, Today. I know. It's exciting. Today is a beautiful day, um, but we're closed today. We're, you know, it's going to rain all weekend, but um, we, we have our patio and we'll serve you out there under the tent with some heaters and yeah. Yeah. Did you keep the wine program alive while you were, I mean, were you offering it to people? People could um, buy and pull away. Actually, um, I was featured in wine spectator, which was incredible. Wow! So 2020 was, you know, a horrible year for all of us, but there were some amazing things that happened and I was, uh, featured for that and, and how we were selling out of, the seller, um, at a discount, pretty much almost at cost. Yeah. I, uh, had winemakers reaching out to me like, Hey, I want this vintage of this and that. I'm like, sure. Take it. You know, it's not doing any good sitting here. Yeah. It's, um, please, you know, take it off our hands. And so I sold a lot of wine That's that amazing. way. Yeah. And, and I, w- I'm not a big, um, social media person. I'm just, it terrifies me and I just feel like I'm not good enough at it. So I did just, you know, get some courage and did a lot of posting and videos and, mm-hmm. um, that worked. Yeah. <laughs> so it does work. <laughs> yeah. It, it does work. What scares you about social media? I guess I feel like people don't care to see <laughs> what I'm doing, you know? <laughs> and it's, it's, yeah, I just feel like they don't like there, there's so many other things. Like why would they stop to care what I'm saying? You know? Yeah. Um, it's just a silly little insecurity, maybe. I don't no, know. No, not silly at all. <laughs> not. I think it taps into all of yeah. our insecurities and about like a, love and belonging mm-hmm. and, you know, it hits the core. Yeah. And I feel like it's never good enough. Like, is that mm-hmm. photo good enough to post? No, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to just do the, the story or the, yeah. what is that called? The feed. <laughs> yeah. The, the little, like, yeah. cotton candy ones. Exactly. So yeah. um, I just need to build my confidence with it, I guess, and... I mean, I guess, I don't know. How valuable is it? I mean, in 10 years, what will we be thinking about? I think about that all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What's the value (laughs) of this thing, really? Mm -hmm. It could be really valuable. I don't know. Could be, but, you know, our attention spans now are what? Like two seconds? Yeah. So So bad. The other night I was scrolling. My husband's out of town, and I notice that when he's gone, I don't have that, like, healthy shame that I'm sitting on my phone Mm -hmm. all the time. And so... um, yeah, I just sat there scrolling, and I when I pulled away from it, I realized, first of all, it was like 11 at night. <laughs> My eyes were all bugged out, and I had no interest in sleeping. Yeah. This is just so not good. Yeah, and you're thinking, oh, gosh, I need to read about that. Why didn't I see that magazine or yeah. try that dish or, pair, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, it just doesn't give me good feelings at, no. know, at the end. So I no. tried not to um, spend too much time on it, but I, I do want to keep, you know, abreast with what's going on in the yeah. wine world. and Yeah. 
It's a double-edged sword. Yes. I mean, it can mm-hmm. it can fully give you things too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this wine that you're making now, mm-hmm. um, you said that it's a crazy project, and that's reflected in the name of the wine. Yes. Yeah. Locura. <laughs> Locura. Yeah. Locura. Yep. Which means just a crazy thing. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, and I had studied in Spain, in Madrid, for four months, and they would call me, like, little crazy one, and so that's kind of how that's the adorable. name came about. Um, and my fiancé is from Argentina, so... Oh, really? Yeah, so he he and I just... He calls me, you know, a little crazy one sometimes. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I just called up Kobe Parker. He was at Claiborne Churchill at the time. And I was like, Hey, do you want to help me make some Grenache? Um, called up Amanda, uh, who was working at the cliffs at the time. She was a sommelier. So we were two young sommeliers who were next door to each other. Loving Grenache. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, just made it happen literally overnight, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. Kobe lives around the corner here. I know, um, yeah. Such a lovely guy mm-hmm. and such a talented winemaker. Mm-hmm. How much of a hand did you have in making it? Were you kind of just following along with him or? So we um, we had told him exactly what we wanted, what style. Um, we had visited the vineyard, you know, tasted the samples. And Which ca- vineyard? Called the pick. So the first vintage, I didn't bring that one because it sold out. Yeah. Um, the 2017 Stolpman Vineyard oh, in Ballard Canyon. Yeah. So Pete Stoltman, super nice guy, called him up, and he was nice enough to get to give us just one ton of Grenache, which isn't something they do. Mm-hmm. Usually you have to buy like three tons of Syrah. You know, one ton is like nothing to them. Did you have a relationship with him already? I had known him uh, from carrying the wines, from doing like uh, immersion trips to his vineyard. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I just, I just kind of met him just through the industry, mm-hmm. and uh, he was super cool and... Yeah, very, very supportive of this young girl starting out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, it has been a very eye-opening project. Yeah. But uh, but yes, visiting the vineyards, calling the pick, so saying, you know, we want to pick around this bricks. Uh, we wanted a lighter style, just very pure, um, unadulterated, minimalistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Kobe had never made a wine like that. So he was intrigued. So we're talking like unfined, unfiltered. Mm-hmm. Do they do biodynamic stuff at Saltman? I can't remember. No, not certified biodynamic. Okay. Um, but they do practice organic farming. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have it on, we can't put it on the label. It's not like a certification they have, but they do practice all of yeah. that. So yeah. yeah. And um, obviously working only with vineyards who share that same philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Stoltman was the first and only uh, 2017 vineyard. And then in 2018, we expanded and did the Moro View from Edna Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's over kind of near Tramisol. Yeah. And then twenty. 19, um, we decided to explore even further and go to Los Alamos, which yeah. is a small little region not many people are talking about. Is it behind town, basically? <clears throat> or is it? It is. It's on the other side of the 101. Okay. So okay. not on the ocean side. Gotcha. Um, and, you know, we were looking for some small, just unknown vineyards, just to, I don't know, see what happens. Yeah, and, discover. And exactly. So, mm-hmm. We uh, picked the Watch Hill Vineyard, mm-hmm. and then, again, one of the cool things that happened in 2020, so we're, we're bottling our 2019 Watch Hill from Los Alamos, and then the AVA was approved 
Um, so now it's Los Alamos or Alisos Canyon AVA. Nice. Uh, so now we can put a more specific site on the bottle versus just Santa Barbara County. So that was super exciting. That is so, that's a very different um designation. Mm-hmm. It kind of validates our decision to, yeah. to work with the vineyard, you know? Yeah. Um, and then we took 2020 off. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We just, we were, you know, I was terrified and mm. I, I'm like, how can I sell wine in this environment? Yeah. And so just adding more to the plate just wasn't gonna work. No, not only that, but I mean, I hate to say it, but fire and mm-hmm. all of the conditions were not. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if I say that, it, there will inevitably be somebody, um, even in the season of the podcast, who mm-hmm. will have incredible stuff mm-hmm. for 2020. But this was a rough, rough yeah. year for those right. who sell wine, for those who make it, for mm-hmm. those who farm it. Mm-hmm. Um, these labels are absolutely beautiful they're beautiful on their own but I'm looking at all of them together and they're just so pretty what was who did them uh so my uh one of our well he's a small partner uh friend and um he has his own little creative agency Catalyst Mm -hmm. 24 and um we wanted to magnify soil under a microscope and so that's what that is yeah this is our rendition of um the soil type yeah and so you know dirt really isn't that pretty (laughs) (laughs) if you were to look up like limestone um it's it's not very appealing and Mm. limestone is you know the most revered soil type, one of the most in in the world. So, um, the Stoltman one is limestone over clay. Mm. Um, and you know, the, the Moro view, there are these little, like almost like quartzy type little rocks that kind of look like that geode and um, crystal, but the colors just have to honestly do with how we feel. Yes, (laughs) totally. And, And, um, and then the Watch Hill is more of like a sandy loam. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of enhancing them and making Beautiful. them look attractive. Totally. And you do everything by hand. Yes, everything. All the waxing and the labeling. You know, there's a lot of um, time that goes into something like this. And again, I have a two-year-old, so uh, mm. it's just, I feel like I'm always a few steps behind. Um, literally like hand waxing and, and hand labeling per order sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's on top of a full-time job. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So Elio likes to come with me and help Yeah. <laughs> destroy things while I <laughs> try and do it. So, um, but he loves wine. Yeah. So yeah, that's why, you know, and, and then sales, that's the hardest part. You, yeah. know, you have to pay someone to go sell it for you or you do it yourself. So to, you do it yourself. Yes, we do it ourselves. And, um, don't get too far, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, can't really take things out tasting now. Haven't got into the cute little wine bottle, um, tasters yet. Yeah. That's kind of the new, that's how the industry has pivoted and doing your little self tasting. Wait, so what, I've never done one of those. Is it, are they putting them in tiny little yep, bottles? Little like four ounce vials mm-hmm. oh. with cute little labels. I mean, yeah, a lot of people have it together, but again, yeah. that's, you know, you have to make the little label you gotta buy the bottles you gotta pour it in totally yeah I don't even know what it entails and then market it yeah exactly yeah Yeah. and drop it off (laughs) and then drop it off and have your teeth brush and have your hair brush um how much did you make of each of these very small so about 60 cases of the first vintage Mm -hmm. and then um we you know doubled our production 
in 2018 by adding the um, Moro view. So like another 60 cases. Um, so that most, you know, 2019, we have like 150 cases. Yeah. And, um, but what's crazy and you don't really know this until you're actually already in it is that you don't see a return for at least two years. I was actually going to ask yeah. you, I thought that's probably rude to ask, did you make any money? Well, but- we did make enough to put back into, um, the next vintage. To keep going, yeah. yeah. But so 2017, right? And then it's in barrel until 2018. You bottle it in 2018, but then you're also picking. Mm-hmm. So you got to get it in bottle, stash it away, pick, make room for the next load. And then once you release the 2017s in 2018, mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to sell it. So you don't yeah. really see any return until like the end of 2018. So yeah. it, it's like a year and a half to two years. Yeah. Um, and so then you're just, you know, the inventory kind of adds up. So you got to quickly sell it, get, you know, make room for the next right. lot. I know a huge part of wine making and wine selling is the amount of space the capital takes mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Space is a huge issue. Um, so, yeah, making sure that it's moving so you're not just clogging up, you know, um, the storage and the storage has to be the right kind of storage. Mm-hmm. It can't just be in your garage. Yeah, of course. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Wine yeah. is so fickle. <clears throat> I mean, really, mm-hmm. it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like the first time you went to pick? Was that just, I, I would be terrified. Oh, so exciting. Well, we don't actually get to pick. We tried. <laughs> and they were like, <laughs> we were <"Please."> very <laughs> eager. Yeah. 2017, we were, you know, up at 4am <laughs> taking selfies with the bin. <laughs> Kobe was there with us to, to mm. haul it back. Um, it was so exciting. But I mean, deciding on the day, yeah, I know it's, Kobe's it's, helping you a lot. Yeah. But. Uh, well, a lot of it's just orchestrating with the vineyard manager and when to yeah. pick up because their guys have to pick it. Um, so there's a lot of steps just mm-hmm. to get that just to get the grapes and then you have to schedule with the winery that you're uh, producing it at mm-hmm. um so yeah it was uh it was exciting and and we just you know you taste you you pick you have to drive we drove out to Santa Barbara like almost every day um picking and then you're like okay in two days you can kind of guesstimate when the what the bricks will be at and yeah. and I guess it doesn't change quickly um or, you know, drastically in a couple of days. So we're like, mm. this is the sweet spot. And the 2017 is, is like my, my favorite. It's my little mm. baby. You know, it mm. was so delicate and elegant and it was, it was beautiful. And then, um, temperature spikes in 2018, yeah. you know, do you, I don't know if you remember, it was like this crazy heat wave. Yeah. We got in before that, but then 2019 was the same. So every year is changing. And uh, California is obviously blessed with this consistent sunshine, but mm-hmm. there's still some, um, yeah, struggles. And- yeah, there's variable mm-hmm. for sure. Well, do you see this, um, you know, in, in the complement of the things that you do, what do you want to see more of in the future? As far as the style or just uh, with well, the sure. brand? Yeah, the style, but also I'm thinking you're, you know, you're managing front of house, mm-hmm. um, doing the wine program. Uh, do you ever think about like educating or, um, or doing Um, more of this, like branching out into other varietals or what? So far it's just Grenache. Yeah. (laughs) And if we were, yeah, if we were to branch out, it would be something like Cinso or Cunois. Um, but uh, you know, it was, it was made or created 
for restaurants uh, mm-hmm. to pair with food. Like I guess from my challenge at Lido was that a lot of people want red wine and we have a lot of fish. And so yeah. I was constantly looking for a red wine that paired with fish. And that was one of the reasons that uh, it was born. And so um, a Grenache light style. Exactly. Mm-hmm. This is a lighter style Grenache. Um, and so, yes, I, I mean, my dream would be absolutely to have a successful wine label and just kind of go out, sell it and do tastings and seminars and things like that. But, you know, now I, I don't, I, again, I've sacrificed the sales of it because I don't want to push anything or make anyone feel uncomfortable. Like I'm trying to sell you wine when your business is probably struggling. Yeah. Um, and so... I guess it's just, it's changed, um, now and I don't know where to go with it. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. Oh, stick with it though. I think it's just, it's so exciting to branch out and do something different. Kobe wants to as well. You know, we, um, we just needed to take 2020 off just to kind of gather our thoughts and, um, it has been well received. It's delicious. I can't wait for Mm -hmm. you to try it. Thank uh, you. Yeah. And, and uh, there's this um, importer um, in Puerto Rico who's a big fan of it. I mean, really? the, the name works great in Puerto <laughs> yeah. Rico. So yeah, he's um, he's been buying a lot of that, and he's supporting a lot of other local brands in the area. So it's kind of a new project. So yeah, we've been successful with Puerto Rico. Which That's kind of cool. Yeah. insane, <laughs> totally insane. Where can people buy it if somebody's listening and they're interested in it? Should they come to Lido? Is that probably- you can you can tr- get it at Lido? Obviously, it's a restaurant, so the pricing is a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, however, retail Wine Sneak is a big supporter okay. of ours in Taste of the Valley, mm-hmm. um, and then um, Jenna had picked it up at um, Farmhouse, which was awesome. Yeah. And let's see where else locally. Um, DePaulo's has the Moro view, just the Moro view. Yeah. So Lovely. That's places plenty. local. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Okay. Um, let me ask you what I ask everybody, which is if you're on your deathbed and you've had this super great complete life, which it sounds like you're well on your way to having, um, mm-hmm. and you wanted to celebrate, what's the last thing you would eat? Ooh, probably duck, like crispy duck. Mm. This is new. That's a new, you're my... 71st interview and oh, no one has said duck oh nicely done <laughs> I love duck and you know Julie's duck oh my goodness with like this she would do this salad with like fresh herbs and oh my goodness because then it's like that crunchy saltiness with the freshness and oh yeah yeah I don't know why duck that's just the first thing that came to mind well then it's meant to be and would you you'd probably serve this alongside or would oh, you yeah, have you something have that bigger yeah, no, that that would be perfect because it is a fresher style. Uh, I guess with that dish, if I'm if I'm yeah. just thinking of Julie and her dish, um, mm. then yeah, that would be a perfect pairing, mm. um, or you know, or champagne, or well, I don't know. I, I mean, anything. But yes, I love champagne, and mm. um, I think that it would only be appropriate to pair my wine with my last meal. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, you're a delight. Thank you for sharing all of this with me. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Listeners, I hope you've learned something, felt something, or been pushed to taste something new during this episode. I'm getting a buzz just thinking about it. If you want to learn more about Consumed or any of my guests, go to letsgetconsumed.com. Very special thanks to my stalwart editor, Chris Lambert, who helps me out when he's not working on his own project. 
the wildly popular true crime podcast, Your Own Backyard, about the disappearance of Cal Poly student Kristen Smart. There's new movement in that story, by the way, so look the podcast up right now. Also, if you like Consumed and think more people should hear it, please review the podcast wherever you like to listen. That always gives me a thrill. Okay, until next time, I'm Jamie Lewis. Thank you.